This is Joey Gallo with the Texas Rangers, and you're listening to the Ranger Nation podcast. This is Nick Solak with the Texas Rangers. You're listening to the Rangers Nation podcast. One ball, two strikes, two outs. Six to one, the Rangers lead in the top of the ninth. Feliz the high set. Here comes the pitch. Breaking ball, strike three, call! The Rangers are going to the World Series! In the air, shallow right. The Texas Rangers win the pennant. Second consecutive year. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Welcome to Rangers Nation Podcast, talking all things Texas Rangers. Rangers Nation Podcast is a part of Dallas Sports Nation, providing coverage of all your DFW sports teams. Now, here's your host, Texas Rangers blogger, the Recliner Nerd. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Rangers Nation Podcast. Today's episode, the Athletic Texas Ranger Roundtable. For those of you that know me, you know I'm... I've enjoyed meeting all the beat writers, all the ones that cover the Texas Rangers, but I kind of have a special place for the guys from The Athletic. We've gotten to know them, become friends, really enjoy them. Just, that's a great side if you haven't done it. We're going to talk about some specials they're running. But with me, joining me are the, are the guys that cover the Rangers for The Athletic. First joining me from the Texas Ranger beat writer for The Athletic, plus a pretty good dadgum uh, musician and singer, Levi Weaver. Levi, thanks for coming on, bud. That's that's kind of you to say for somebody who hasn't touched his guitar in about a year. But thank you. <laughs> I was at the concert. I saw it. So, you know, and I've seen you do karaoke. Also, we've got uh, Texas <laughs> Ranger special contributor for The Athletic and creator of the Newberg Report, uh, Jamie Newberg. Jamie, thanks for coming on also. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed you didn't introduce me as a singer. <laughs> Your your daughter is, I know that I've seen that in person, but, uh, so do you have the pipes or are you like me? You got to come. Oh man, I'm, I am, I am down for all. I, I probably chose the wrong career, honestly. (laughs) Um, no, I pretty much suck. I think we talked about that when you came on and we did the the, the uh, Newberg uh, episode. You guys need to go back and listen to that. Look, guys, we're seven days from uh, seven more games away from the final roster moves that have to be made. So I want to talk about the Rangers coming out of this, getting ready for the season. Uh, I think we all came into spring training with our own players or competitions that we were excited to see. We also saw some trades and signings this offseason that were in line with the rebuild. Um, with that being said, before we start there, uh, Levi, this first one's going to go, you answer it first before him, but uh, the Chris Young hire. Uh, you deal with him more than we do. Jamie and I aren't on all the Zoom calls. You are. Um, you like it so far? What do you think of him? Um, has he been great to deal with? Uh, you're dealing with him more than we are. Yeah, so far so good. Um, I mean, there's, I don't think anybody doubts that he's an intelligent uh, guy. I mean, I think that's the first thing anybody ever says about him is like, oh, super smart. I mean, sometimes the first thing, thing that they mention is, oh, he's six foot 10. But <laughs> the second thing is a very, very intelligent guy. So anytime you can add, you know, brain trust to the front office, that's good. Um, and I think I get the sense from him and also from the other members of the front office that they are going to just kind of ease him into the job. You know, I think a lot of the things were in motion before he arrived and really he's kind of given a, like a one year learning curve that he's sort of learning on the job. And and these decisions are not Chris Young walking in and being like, all right, slamming down the paper on the table. I got an edict. We're trading this guy. It's more that those decisions are still kind of being made by committee with John Daniels involved with Chris Young with the assistant GM. So you got, you know, Josh Boyd and, and, uh, and, and Daly and, and Shiraz. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think 
we won't really know how good a hire it was probably for two, three, four years. Um, but so far so good. And, and as far as like dealing with him, yeah, I mean, he's been very professional. It's, he doesn't really speak like a ball player. Like he kind of does talk on the zoom meetings. We hey, he talks more like a front office guy, which I've heard was kind of the case when he was a ball player too. So. Yeah. I've been on a couple of them that he's been on and it's, it's fun to watch and, and listen to him now, Levi, I know, I mean, uh, Jamie, I know that you were a fan of him as a player. Plus when the MLB, I remember you saying or tweeting out some stuff when he was hired by the front office and uh, the commissioner's office. So I'm assuming you're on board too. You like Chris Young and you think this is a great deal. Yeah, um, I've had a few conversations with him since he came back and um, just on a different level from any conversations I had 15, 20 years ago with him. He's he's a tremendous thinker. You know, he's he yeah. um, there's no canned responses. And I, I, I should say that since I'm not on the Zooms, maybe Levi is hearing the same thing over and over from the guy, but I doubt it. Um, he's he's super thoughtful. He's humble which I think is sort of a, a, you know, a common denominator with this front office. Like they wouldn't have brought him on if he didn't have some humility and egolessness. Um, and he's obviously super well connected in the game through the various roles he's had, you know, he's got credibility as a former player and working in the commissioner's office, he's probably dealt with just about every general manager, um, team presidents on the business side. So yeah. um, tremendous resources to have him back aboard. Yeah, I, I, I look. I, you guys know him far better than I do. I've only seen him, you know, on the Zoom calls. But I, I've been impressed, and I liked him as a player. I, I did like him as a player, and and uh, he does. Boy, he's smart when he's on I mean, there. John, I appreciate you giving us credit, but we we've also really only seen him on Zoom calls since he was hired. <laughs> we're we're still not really allowed to go shake hands with anybody. So you're we're, yeah, well, no, we're not right. as far ahead of you as you might think. <laughs> But, um, okay, so let me ask you this. So, so when we were coming into the offseason, after, after last season, going into the winter, basically we were told that this rebuild isn't where we thought it was. We're, we're, it's still going. Um, everything done this winter heading into the season was going to be about uh, the future. Wasn't going to be short-term stuff. Wasn't going to be, you know, it was going to be going towards the future. So with that in mind, what offseason moves so far do you think best fits the rebuild in your opinion? I'll start with you, Jamie. What, is there any one particular you've gone, man, that's that's right in line with what they say they're going to do? So the Lance Lynn trade was was interesting because there was um, there was some heartache among lots in the fan base that he wasn't dealt during the season. Um, when he was, you know, having a tremendous year and they got a little burned by Mike Miner by holding on to him, maybe a little too long. So, um, obviously we're all on the edge of our seats, see what they do with Lance Land. It makes no sense to hang on to him because you're not going to make a qualifying offer, which means you'll get no draft pick back. Right. You got to move him. And I think the worry was that they wouldn't find somebody willing to give up, you know, a good young piece that you could count on going forward. And I think they accomplished that. Like, you know, Dane Dunning, even if his upside is a three or a four, you know, th threes and fours make $15 million a year. Yeah. And to have six years of control with this guy, he's got a little major league experience, but there's still six years of control, um, a good combination. And, uh, you know, to add a piece like that, you know, he's he's not going to be expected to front the rotation. Lance Lynn was never expected to front anybody's rotation for his entire career. He was a three or four until he got to Texas. Um, so, you know, I think that, I think every move that they've made in terms of trades uh, since the probably since two winters ago has been designed to uh, feed the next window. So I think everything they've done is in line with that. But the the, the Linford Dunning deal 
um, I thought was really interesting. I feel like they got um, maybe as much as they could have gotten in the summer. And we don't know, you know, how hard they tried during the summer to trade them. And yeah. maybe um, maybe the White Sox weren't prepared to move Dunning once they, you know, they were calling him up for the pennant race. And they maybe they Needed refused him. that offer and then came back to it in the winter. I don't know. But I, I felt like it was a pretty good deal. We'll see how it looks going forward. But um, that one got me jazzed a little bit. I'll tell you why that one was interesting to me. And, Levi, I, w- I want to hear yours. is because I went on a podcast with a White Sox guy. And we – to, to design a Dane, we were going to do a trade for Lance Lynn, kind of what you do, uh, uh, both of you guys, when you get with the other riders for and try to work out trades. So we went on there. I offered him uh, Lance Lynn straight up for Dane Dunning, and he turned it down. So after we ended up getting Dane Dunning and another prospect along, I went, you know, I think this is a good deal because I was willing to just give Lance Lynn for Dane Dunning straight up. Levi, what about you? Yeah. So one extra note on that, on that Lynn trade. And I agree with Jamie that that's probably the one that is best defines their direction, but there was the story from Ken Rosenthal that came out uh, later that basically explained why the Rangers didn't trade him, which was players had an, uh, an opt out of the season option last year. And oh, yeah. so Lynn didn't have a no trade clause, but he did have this sort of universal players association. I can opt out of the season and basically let it be known. Hey, if you trade me to somebody I don't want to play for, I'm just going to go ahead and opt out, which honestly, genius move, really. Like, yeah. really great use of negotiation. Um, yeah. But that ex- it helped explain, like, okay, well, I guess that's, you know, why they didn't trade him. What, uh, one of the angles that I thought was really interesting was less to do with trades this offseason and more just sort of watching the age window. So, you know, starting in maybe even as far back as 2017 when they traded Darvish, and a lot of it was about, you know, really young guys. They've been, they've traded for guys that are in a ball, low a, you know, high, a, whatever young guys. And they're right around 20. Right. It seemed like they made quite a few acquisitions this winter of guys that are kind of in that 25 to 28 range. So you can sort of see the window approaching by the age of the guys that they're, that they're getting. And and a lot of these guys, I I get the sense that it's, you know, you've got a chance. So I'm looking at Mike Fultonavich. I'm looking at uh, David Dahl, the trade even for Nate Lowe, um, all of these guys kind of in the, uh, signing Arihara. These are all guys that you go, all right, if our window starts in 2023, you've got a shot to stake your claim, to be on this team. You're going to be around 30 years old when that right. window of opportunity happens. If you're a guy that sticks around and can become a centerpiece of that team, great. Or maybe you end up getting traded for pieces that help us further down the line, sure. or maybe you flame out. And if that's the case, well, it's not like that's what cost us the 2021 world series. So I thought that was an interesting thing to sort of watch the acquisitions become older. Uh, and I don't mean older, like 35, but I mean, you know, older prospects or guys that could use a change of scenery. And um, yeah. yeah. And so that for me was the more interesting angle of, uh, of what they did this winter. To, to Levi's point on the, uh, the trade with, with Tampa, um, it's been pretty rare the last couple of years to see the Rangers trade younger pieces for older pieces. And Nate Lowe's not an old player, like Levi said. He's more like just entering his own window. Right. And the Rangers must believe that he, you know, his the amount of control they have over him lines up with when they expect to be good. But they traded three prospects for him, two of whom were pretty key. Yeah. And you haven't seen Texas make many deals like that where they have traded young guys that they believe are legitimate, you know, role five, role six players that could contribute in the big leagues if everything, if they stay healthy. You haven't seen too much of that where they've moved guys like that for, for big leaguers. Um, yeah. They certainly did in that trade. Uh, and I, I think, you know, 
Heriberto Hernandez in particular could come back to haunt. Yeah. He's a he's a pure hitter, uh, hit and power, defensively a little limited. So he's not the perfect player, not the perfect prospect. But that's somebody they wouldn't have just given up because they didn't think he had a future in the organization. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Was there any move that caught you off guard that you kind of was like, whoa, I, I didn't see that one coming? Oh, um, I mean, I don't think Scott Heineman was so much catch, catching anybody off guard. Uh, yeah. Eli White has passed him, certainly, in terms of what their roles were looking like they might be. Now it looks like White's role may be even bigger. Um, but I guess that that one surprised me a little bit. I also was, um, you know, a little – we all knew Ellis Andrews was probably going to have to end his career somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah. We didn't know that it was going to happen this quickly and that they would find somebody, um, you know, willing to give up something useful and take on at least part of that contract. So that one may have come a little bit out of the blue, but it was eventually going to happen. I just didn't figure it was going to happen this winter. What about you, Levi? Yeah. Yeah. No, the Elvis one was the one that surprised me as well. I, me too. For all the reasons that Jamie's saying, I didn't think anybody would, trade I, I thought his contract was probably untradeable at this point being i mean he's, he's going to be the second oldest shortstop in baseball behind brandon crawford so yep. bay area shortstops uh that's the new market inefficiency i guess but he um yeah i mean i, I didn't and then to get chris davis back i'm like okay well i guess that makes sense i was surprised that the rangers got jonah heim which yeah. looks like might be a good acquisition for them yeah. but also i was not thinking you know you've got jose trevino right now you've got sam huff you know, right on the verge. I did not really expect catcher to be someplace that they were looking to make an acquisition. Um, so it certainly makes things interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, okay. So before spring training started, was there any competition or players that you were excited to watch and see what happened? Let's go with you, Levi, first. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, first base has been interesting to me and yeah. still is, you know, Nate Lowe does have a minor league option. Guzman doesn't. When they made the trade, they said, you know, we expect Lowe to be our starting first baseman. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, they're trading Guzman then. Like, that's happening. He's going to be traded, like, tomorrow. Uh, He wins the Dominican MVP. He comes to camp. He's hitting well. He's taking reps in the outfield. Like, it looks like they're either trying to keep him or boost the trade value. Um, But Lowe started camp pretty cold. Um, there's, I think there's a real competition there. Now, Lowe has ex- since explained that one of his things that he's focused on in spring is he takes the first few weeks and just basically watches pitches. And he said, you know, I, I get that that's probably frustrating for fans and also for my teammates. Cause it's pretty ugly. You walk up there and watch three strikes and go sit back down, but it's all part of my process of like, watch, 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 watch. Yeah. And then eventually, and it was right about the time his manager said, you need to start hitting the ball. Yeah. Uh, he started swinging and, and he's been hitting the last few games. So that, I think that's a really interesting competition. I'm curious to see how that one pans out. Yeah. If it, injuries have kind of helped that competition go into the regular season, I think. Yeah. With Chris Davis going down, you know, and Willie Calhoun has also got a groin injury. So there used to be three guys for two positions in left field and DH. And I wasn't sure, you know, you got Chris Davis, Willie Calhoun and um, David Dahl. And now there's only one standing David, Dahl, assuming that the foul ball that he fouled off his right knee is not going to be a problem. Sure. You, you, you got one of those guys right now. And so maybe Guzman is first base and low is the DH for a while until Calhoun gets back. Uh, yeah. Injuries seem to have simplified that a little bit, but I mean, long-term I'm curious to see which one emerges as the, as the guy. Yeah. Jamie, what about you? So it's been kind of uh, 
interesting to me that there's been so little talk about Nick Solak this spring. <laughs> and I think it's because to the extent that there was really any competition at second base, he has put that to rest because he's hit from the jump. Um, he's going opposite field already. He seems locked into his, you know, his, his uh, summer swing. And, you know, I, unfortunately, not being out there, it's hard to gauge whether how, how he's taking the second base. It wasn't super pretty when he first came up and was playing on the dirt. Um, but they must be comfortable with it. They haven't given, given Odor any time there. Yeah. Uh, Ibanez is not any better than Solak, defense, Solak defensively, and he's not as good a hitter. Um, you know, you've got guys like Culberson and Holt that could probably play the position, but they're they're clearly being looked at as super utility guys and, yeah. and, and potentially very, really valuable ones. So, you know, to the extent that Solak was – not promised the job. He was moved back to second base to sort of like enter that competition. There's been no competition. And, yeah. and I'm, yeah, I mean, everybody that reads my stuff knows I am overly hyped on Nick Solak way too much, I'm sure. <laughs> but having met the kid and just seeing his demeanor and so how to, how he goes about things and watching his swing, um, the swing in particular, his approach at the plate is something this team has lacked, and I think there's more of it now coming. Um, but his selectivity and willingness to use the whole field, um, it can really help this team, especially if he can play 150 games at second base and not embarrass himself. Yeah. And, man, do they need a right-handed hitter to succeed this year, especially oh. if it looks like Davis is going to miss extended time. Oh, I mean, yeah. you, look at their, you look at their lineup. Whoever's at first base, that's left-handed. Yeah. Uh, kind of for left is right-handed, but not really what you consider a power bat. Nope. So at shortstop, third base, it's probably Rugnet Odor, left-handed. Right field, Gallo, left-handed. Center field, Leota Tavares, who I think is a better hitter left-handed, but I'm, I'm willing to see that if I'm wrong. Uh, left field, David Dahl hits left-handed. Catcher, Jose Trevino, not a power hitter. Uh, Jonah Heim, switch hitter, but yeah, they need a right-handed power bat. And if Nick Solak can can tap into a little bit of power playing second base. That's going to be super, super valuable for them. Absolutely. Now, I think that now, now, now that they started now, and then Jamie, you kind of alluded to that right there, but has there been a competition that's been intriguing since it all started and you've, it, you didn't expect it. Now you've watched it play out. Um, like something for me was, I honestly it, look, Ruggie Odor, give him credit. He went out and, and won the third base job. I really didn't think he'd be this. I thought he, at best he'd be moved or he'd be a utility guy, he has won the third base job and he looked comfortable over there. So if you're starting with me on that, I, um, aside from them bringing in Holt, it didn't seem there really was any super uh, legitimate competition at third base either. And to Todor's credit, um, he hasn't sort of forced their hand to go find somebody else. Yeah. Um, but the, I guess the competition that has been most uh, – surprising to me has been in center field. Oh yeah. Um, not that anybody thought that Leody Tavares uh, will never see the minor leagues again. It's, you know, he had good spurts last summer. Um, and Eli White, just from the, you know, the, the standpoint that he moved from the middle infield to the outfield just a couple of years ago, and really just last year wholesale, I think people would tended to see him as a utility guy or at best a fourth outfielder. Um, they can play all, all three spots, but he um, he's made it a competition uh, and he's a right-handed bat, not superpower, but more than Tavares, at least at this stage. Um, 
and I'm, you know, he's the closest thing the organization has defensively to Tavares. He's very good out there, even though he's relatively inexperienced. Um, so I, you know, I think that he he's made this final week really interesting in center field. I'm, I'm sure they haven't made a decision yet, and I'm not sure that they want to until they see, you know, another dozen at bats from each of them. Yeah. What about you, Luna? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking now about um, about pitching. You know, you've got this interesting setup where they're going to have two tandem spots, and you've got a lot of guys competing for those spots. So, off the top of my head, um, you know, Woodward said yesterday that Jordan Lyles was going to be one of the four. So yeah. it's it's two tandem positions, which means you've got to. And uh, now I'm on video, which is not going to work great for audio. But you know, he's doing hands for up. those who are listening on <laughs> for those who are listening on audio. I'm holding up two hands. Each of them represents a tandem position, and each of them has two fingers sticking up. So it's a, a total of four pitchers. One of them is Jordan Lyles, and he's also said he wants to pair, if possible, right-handers and left-handers. Right, so yeah. with Lyles, you're going to probably get Taylor Hearn or possibly Wes Benjamin, who's been very impressive this yeah. spring. Yeah. The other candidates on the other side, you know, you're looking at again, whichever, you know, Hearn or Benjamin. And then, I mean, technically Colby Albert, Colby Allard is an option, but he hasn't pitched great this spring. Joe Palumbo, but he has been dealing with an injury. He's probably not going to be ready for opening day. So then, you know, the right-handed options there are Dane Dunning and Kyle Cody. Right. One of them, not both of them. And so yep. there's a chance that one of those guys doesn't make the opening day roster, which is a surprise to me. I, I expected both of them to be shoe-ins when spring training started. So uh, I think that's one interesting competition. And then there's the number of injuries they had in the bullpen. You know, Jose Leclerc is out. Uh, Jonathan Hernandez is out. Uh, Brett Martin has been injured or has had some back. They said he's going to be about a week late. Uh, behind opening day. So he's not on the opening day roster. Joel A. Rodriguez is not on the opening day roster. He's going to be a couple of weeks behind. Right. And I said, our bullpen preview came out this week and I started looking through the names. I'm like, is there anybody that has been named to the opening day roster yet as far as a bullpen position? And, and there's not like, there are some good guesses. There are some people that, yeah, they're probably going to make it. Like Josh Spores is probably going to make it at this point. Brett DeGus has pitched well enough. He's a rule five guy. So they need to keep him on the active roster. He's probably going to make it. But after I wrote that, I don't think there's anybody that's been officially named. I, I asked Chris Woodward about it and he's like, yeah, there are some guys, but if I would know we haven't officially named anybody to the bullpen. So right now the bullpen is zero people. And um, yeah, I mean, who, who's going to make it? I think uh, I'll try to pronounce his name. Hyunjong Yang. Yes has done a really good job. Hasn't walked anybody. He's starting today. Uh, he might not make the team. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'll i be really interested to see how this pitching staff shakes out. Yeah. Let, me, let me add something on Kyle Cody. Because um, I think everybody was like uh, very pleasantly surprised how quickly he took to adjusting to big league hitters. Yeah. Very good. The thing about Cody is uh, he didn't pitch in 2019. Uh, pitched almost none in 2018. I think he got hurt maybe in May of 2018. So he missed all that time and then got, what, 25 big league innings last summer after work at the off-site. So I think there's going to be some load management on him. And even if he, you know, they may like him more than Dunning. I don't know that. But I think they're going to have to watch his his workload this year, his innings. And so it might make sense. Uh, just to send him to the alt site in April um, and maybe even keep him in AAA in May when they open up. Interesting. Um, just so they can, you know, throw him three or four innings a night and not 
end up impacting what happens with the big league staff by yeah. doing that. And, you know, minor leagues, you can get away with that because you don't care about wins and losses. Right. So I, I think he might be behind Dunning if they're equal on a performance footing. Yeah. Uh, I just think, I think Cody's not going to be a guy you're going to expect 150 innings out of it all this year. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and that, that kind of slides into the next situation because personally, you know, I think there's as many as five non-roster invitees that, have made a claim for why they should be on the opening day roster. And last count I had. So besides Kennedy and probably Bush, who I, they seem to be the leaders to me that I think will make this team. Who is most likely you think to make this team? That's a non-roster. Culberson. <laughs> Let me pull El Culberson's a good one. Um, yes. Yeah. That was, I'm yeah, looking at the roster. Um, Hunter Wood. There's my other guess. Hunter Woods, like impre- impressive. I don't think I'd seen more than an inning or two. I know he's pitched in the big leagues, but I was impressed the day I saw him on TV. Yeah, I think uh, Culberson is the guy. Um, as far as hitters go, I think um, that Delino has got a little bit of a, a steep hill to climb the way that Eli White has played, unless they decide they want Tavares, you know, away from – the big league roster just so he can get more reps in of course okay. in April, those reps just mean hitting off coaches or, or, you know, live VP. So it's not, not the kind of reps you'd want. So I, I think the shields, you know, he can only make the team if, if both Leody and, and Eli don't. Yeah. Levi, anybody that you, well, you were, you were part of it. So that's four right there with Culberson. You, you've got uh, like, we think, we think, does everyone think Kennedy and Bush make the team? I mean, I do. Yeah. Yeah, this so, one for sure, yeah. Yeah, and then Culberson. Somebody's got to pitch those final innings. Yeah, and exactly. right now, <laughs> I mean, I do. Right so. now, if you, if you don't have those guys on your roster right now, who do you put in in the ninth inning? Yeah, no with kidding. A, with a safe situation. And so with Culberson and then, like you said, with Hunter Wood, who has done well, that's four. So the fifth would have to be Young or like your Young. I can't say his name either. Young, like I said, but or what he was talking about with Delino. So with that. I mean, luckily, there's probably a couple that are going to go to the 60-day IL, but what current player on the 40-man is most in jeopardy of having to clear waivers? Hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think any of them have to. It looks like Chris Davis is going to be out for a while. There's one of your 60-man. Jonathan Hernandez, there's another 60-man. Jose Leclerc, there's another one. Um, I had four openings. Who else? Who else? Who else? There's somebody else that's injured. I mean, if it had to come down to Oh, Brock, Brock Burke is going to be on it. Oh, he's not already – they haven't placed him there yet. Okay, well then, no. yeah, that's – yeah, he's definitely going to be on the 60. So there's four, uh, and I think probably those four are, are, are filled by the guys that we talked about. I, my guess would be Kennedy, Bush, uh, Wood, and Culberson. That's interesting. Yeah, and so I didn't, I didn't think of Brock Burke. So may not be anybody. That's interesting. I, I, in my mind, it was thinking, God, are they going to have to come down to DeGeis or someone like that or – Boars, however you say his name, or they're the guy. Yeah. No, I think both of those guys make the roster just because they both pitched really, really well. Yeah. And and at this point, with an entire bullpen full of guys on the IL, I mean, I think both Spores yeah. and Degas are are shoe ins at this point. Yeah, it has kind of played out with all so many injuries. J- uh, Jamie, what about you? Anybody? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was thinking that Degas might be the guy because which you know you can try to see if the Dodgers will, you know, take a low level prospect to not take the Gus back and then you can, you can outright to Gus to the minor leagues, but I think he's pitched too well for that. Yeah. So I think like if they decide he's, he's not one of the guys uh, for the big league staff, he's not only going to be off the 40, he'll be out of the organization. So 
I don't think they want to take that chance. Um, they've had some success with that in, in past years of keeping a guy that somehow they convinced the other team it was better to take a lottery ticket than take their player back. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, two weeks ago, if you'd asked me, I would have thought, you know, given the situation that the team is in, the Gus might have a tough time making the team. Yeah. Um, but as relievers have gone down since then, it's a different story. It's kind of played its way out. This one I'm interested to hear. This ought to be because I have just poured over, and Jamie's probably got the best chance of answering this. Besides Young, uh, Josh Young, who we all assume at some point is going to make his major league debut. He's going to be a little farther behind now with the injury, but we all assume that. What what player do you think is most likely to make his major? Because, look, Huff and them have already made their major league debut. Who is there that likely to make their major league debut this year? I will say that we will see Yeri Rodriguez. That was mine. Wow. Okay. Not yet. He no. won't make the staff. No, um, no, no. Yeah. I'm talking late. But especially if they decide to um, work him in short bursts in the minor leagues where he can help the bullpen. Um, he's been a starter all the way, but so was Jonathan Hernandez till he got to double A. Um, electric stuff, not at a Hernandez level, but it's really good stuff. Um, uh, he's had some durability issues um, with his, his elbow. Uh I don't think – I mean, I think he's a full go right now, but I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, I think at some point this year we'll see him. Um, I, You know, this is really overblowing one moment, but the way Curtis Terry ended the game the other day defensively, yeah, the bat is there. And right, if he right-handed play, bat. If he can play a serviceable first base and – who knows? Maybe he's a DH. We don't know that yet. We, I, I do know from talking to a lot of coaches over the last three years that he continually gets better defensively. He's not a gold lover. It's sort of like a Solak thing. Um, if he can play both sides of the ball, he's going to be a major leaguer. And uh, they're not going to bring him up to pinch hit. Um, I don't think unless, you know, there's a, an extended absence from Calhoun and, and Chris Davis, and maybe even Chris Davis they move on from. You know, there's a there's a scenario where Terry comes up and DHs, but you know the way the way he showed the other day that he may have progressed enough at first base to be more than just a mediocre. Um, that's a guy I think that we could see this year. They've gotten away with leaving him off the forty two straight drafts, yeah. and I know I know for a fact, even though it was off the record, they were really sweating it this year. <laughs> they were very concerned that um, that they were going to lose them. Um, but they just couldn't find room on the 44. And fortunately for them, uh, they didn't lose them. But I think he's on the 40 at some point this year. So I think he's coming up. Yeah, I will also bring up somebody who is, uh, interestingly enough, came up in, in, in the same conversation with Chris Woodward. He said, we have two guys in our in our system right now that can hit every kind of pitch. You know, you get guys that really feast on fastballs or guys that really handle breaking stuff really well. But usually it's you know, they've, they've got their hot zones, right? Like he does really sure. well on inside pitches, but not so well. Yeah. Because we got two guys that can cover every zone, every kind of pitch. One is Curtis Terry and the other is Andy Ibanez. Both of them also with some defensive questions. Yep. Uh, as Jamie has mentioned, Curtis Terry has really improved. Ibanez, it, I've only seen a number of games on TV because they've just decided to only air a few games this spring. But every time, Seems like every time Andy Abanez gets hit, gets hit a ball, you're holding your breath. Like, where is he going to throw this one? <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, the number of times he's pulled a first baseman off the bag, he's had to catch it and try to make a tag. It's, I mean, they're never like wild, wild, like into the stands, 
but whoo, they're very rarely ever just right on on where they're supposed to be. And so uh, the, the, he hit over 300 in AAA in his last full season in the minor leagues when they yep. had the minor leagues. He's he's a hitter. Uh, and I, you know, Woodward said when he finally makes it to the big leagues, he's going to stay in the big leagues, whether that's with other, us or somebody else. Um, it's just, man, where is he going to play? And I, it, he has not really shown that third base is that place. So probably a second base slash DH type. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think at some point this year, the MLB season being what it is and the length of it and the injuries that happen, I think he'll make his big league debut debut and, at and, some point. He'll be 28 next week. Like he's, yeah. he's yeah. this is not a, you know, a guy that's, uh, you know, four years away from his prime. Sure. Yeah. Uh, brought him over at a relatively late age from Cuba. And so um, he's gotten a late start, but I agree with Levi. I think he can hit big league pitching. Um, but I think there's just better options right now in the organization to help this year. And it's going to take some injuries uh, for him to get up. But, as, as Levi said, and as we know, uh, those things tend to stack up and you you have to dip down maybe a little further than you had planned. And, and he would be on that short list if needed. Yeah, it's crazy. I had him at the preseason before any game started. I did my, you know, your way too early prediction opening day lineup. I had him as starting third baseman. Then we get into play and I'm hearing all these defensive things. I'm like, oh my, I never knew this. I didn't realize he was that poor defensively. You look at his minor league numbers, they were, he was just, he's a hitter. Doing it, he played a lot of games at third for in uh, in Triple A in 2019. Um, a third of them, uh, the most at third than any of the other two. He's playing shortstop, and but I've heard from uh, Adam Morris and others. He's like, yeah, he's not a good defender. Uh, so yeah, that's crazy. Um, okay, so look, there were rumors all around uh, about maybe possibly trading Joey Gallo, whether it's at the trade deadline or this year, um, you, you know, or but even maybe in the last week. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. There was also, uh, Jamie, you had a great story about a trade for Trevor Story and why it would be something that maybe the Rockies could consider, considering they probably are going to have to trade him at the deadline. And, and you know, he's likely going to walk, so there's not going to be a qualifying offer. He's going to deny it. And uh, if they don't do something before the end of the, the – before the season starts, they, you know, they're going to have to – just settle for a prospect that he's going to be less valuable at the trade deadline. Other than those guys, which I don't think are going to happen. Who do you think? Is there anybody you see probably being traded or most likely to be trading or someone going after? Is there anyone? Maybe Guzman? Is that the? I mean, I mean, if you trade, if you trade Guzman, you're going to get, you know, um, you right know now, a Scott Heineman type. You're going to get somebody that can help you, but that you're not, penciling in as part of a core of your lineup going forward. And it's just, you know, the nature of teams know that if they, if you can't make a trade with them, you're going to DFA them and then they can, they can pick them up off waivers for nothing. And so, you know, they would get something for Guzman um, because he's so good defensively and he has shown at least flashes um, this spring and certainly in the winter um, of figuring some things out with the bat. Really don't think they want to lose him at all, whether it's by trade or, or designation. So I, I don't think that's going to happen. It's hard to point to yeah. um, a, a pitcher. I don't, you know, Kyle Gibson, if he's, if, if, if all this is the real thing and he's sitting there at nine and four, you know, in July with a 320, you're going to move him. Like yeah. clearly, you know, you're yeah. going to move that year and a half left on his deal. Um, but he's going to have to be that pitcher for you to be able to get anything. Because we know now, like, and we've seen this all over the league last couple of years, prospects are worth more than ever before yeah. and to see what veterans established veterans all-star level veterans are able to fetch right now compared to five years ago it's staggering 
look at what Mookie Betts brought. Not yeah, much. Yeah. Um, Lindor only brought a decent amount because they threw in Carrasco. It's just tough right now. Nolan to Arenado. What was the re- what was that oh, return? Yeah. It was like their the best prospect in that deal was a third baseman named Montero, who's l- low teams in anybody's ranking of the system. Yeah. It was definitely not as good as the package that Nick Groke and I came up with last summer um, from the Rangers. Uh, <laughs> but that's a great example. Like yeah. they're just can't expect to go make it to share a trade. And even now the U Darvish trade looks like that was a pretty good deal, at least in today's, by today's standards, to yeah. get Calvin and Alexi. Um, I don't think you could get players of that level, those two players for a veteran right now, unless they were an absolute difference maker. Yeah. All right. Now, Levi, you asked this to Kyle Gibson the other day, but I want to hear your opinion on this. Um, is this pitching staff better than we – advertised i mean injuries aside um are they gonna be better than we thought yeah i, I asked that and then like the next three days in a row the rangers <laughs> yeah, started, started. Just got shelled yeah uh that was my fault i did that um <laughs> i i tell you like last bad start notwithstanding um i i still think that mike fultonavich is going to be a really exciting pitcher this yeah. year because you know, I talked to Dave O'Brien, who's our Braves writer. And I was like, what happened? He was an all-star in 2018. He was really good. And then 2019, not as good. And last year, just, I mean, they designated him for assignment, like, and nobody picked him up on waivers. Yeah. What happened? And he's like, well, his, his VLO went from, you know, 98 down to 90 and he lost a bunch of weight and nobody figured out why his weight's back up. And he basically just said, well, okay, I kind of forgot to eat um, when we were, <laughs> when we were quarantining early in the year, <clears throat> his view is back up to 95, 96. Um, if he's anywhere close to what he was in 2018, then I think that's going to be uh, yeah. maybe the steal of the off season, to be quite honest. Gibson looks much better. He's added a cutter, which to hear him talk, it, it makes sense that a lot of times, especially to right-handed hitters, he's worked on his two seamer, his sinker that sort of breaks in and down to right-handed hitters. And now the cutter breaking away from right-handed hitters. And if they both look the same coming out of the hand and the, the hitters left to guess, all right, is this going to break in or out? And that's going to induce a lot of ground balls, ideally. So if, you know, Gibson looks better than he did, who knows what Arihara is going to look like, but he throws a lot of pitches. And as the league is sort of learning who he is and trying to figure out which of those seven pitches he's about to throw, there's a chance that he has a, a good, at least first half until the, until the league figures out what's going on with it's him. It's a book on him, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then I don't know this tandem situation that didn't work out so great in Colorado a while ago. But I, it's different personnel in Texas. I, I like what I've seen from Taylor Hearn. I really like what I've seen from Wes Benjamin. Yeah, um, he's been. You know, Dane Dunning is the guy they traded Lance Lynn for. I think they expect him to be good. I expect him to be good enough. I don't know, man. That, that might not be. It, it might <laughs> not crazy. be as painful <laughs> as as people are expecting because last year you had you know Kluber, Lynn, and Minor, and we're like, all right, and then Gibson and Lyles on the back end of that. Lyles, by the way, has has Look apparently great. faced his curveball. He's looked really great this spring. Yeah. Last year, he said his curveball was popping up too high out of his hand, and so it was easy for hitters to see what was coming. So for the first time in his career, he spent the offseason like digging into numbers and looking at analytics and going, oh, well, this makes more sense if it looks the same coming out of my hand. And then the curveball breaks down and the fastball goes up. Um, but, you know, Last year, the pitching staff on paper looked phenomenal. And then Corey Kluber pitches yeah. for one inning. Mike yeah. Minor has was it down here. Yeah, yeah. His is way down. Lance Lynn was great. Yeah. Uh, Gibson wasn't good. Lyles wasn't good. And that was terrible. This year, I think the expectations are way down. And I 
kind of think they're going to exceed those expectations. Yeah. But again, as soon as I said that, then the Rangers came out and, you know, threw three stinkers in a row. So who, who I'm not an expert. Well, let me jump off of something that Levi said, because I, I completely failed to include Fulte in that list of trade candidates. The thing about Fulton Davich is even though he's here on a one-year deal, he can't be a free agent this winter. He's still got another year of arbitration. Right. So, and unless they somehow um, come to an agreement on the new CBA before the offseason, then by time you've got to make decisions on 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 players, uh, it's going to operate under the current CBA, which means they've got another year of control. And so right now they're paying him what two million for this year, which means he's basically by yeah. time it's July, you're paying paying him what amounts to minimum wage, and you're getting another year of control out of him. So I think he's a really good trade candidate if he comes out pitching well because you know Gibson's a 10 million dollar a year pitcher right and faulty far from it and I think people would probably uniformly agree that if faulty is right his upside is greater than Gibson's to begin with yeah yeah so is there any place that Jamie that you think this team will surprise people in a positive way yeah that's what I mean I mean because I think everyone's just planted them in the cellar, which that's a question coming up. Is there anybody in the AL that could, we will combine it, could possibly surplant them at the bottom. But more than that, is there any way they might, any place they might surprise people? You know, um, they surprised a lot of people in September with these class A players that they brought up and a couple of them were not overmatched at all. And so, you know, who knows what if, what if we see Sam Huff in the second half um, in a, role where he's getting some work at catcher, some at first, some at DH, sort of being eased in. And he's like, as they look at him by season's end as a core piece for next year's lineup. You know, what what if Steel Walker gets an opportunity and builds off of what he's done this spring, which has been pretty good. Um, I think like it could be another year where they bring some kids up to get that acclimation period out of the way like they did last summer, especially if the season's going south, like most people expect it will. Sure. And you could, let me add Fernario Zuna. You know, at some point, I think he's coming up to pitch out of the bullpen unless he bombs and probably Frisco's, I assume, where he'll start out. Um, but that's a, you know, that's a triple-digit arm. Um, so I think you've got guys that right now no one's talking about as candidates to, to you know, possibly make the opening day roster. But, you know, by, by midseason, certainly late season, you might see some of those players um, and, and find out, like we did with Leody last summer and like we did with Huff, that you know they may be they may belong a little sooner than we thought they might have. And you, I think you can add Luis Ortiz to that list too. Apparently, yeah. he hit a hundred in a game the other day. Oh yeah, and like sitting ninety eight in his bullpens or live BP. So all right, okay, <laughs> former first round pick. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. He's always been a command guy. So if he's you know if he's if he's throwing you know upper nineties, touching a hundred with you know and able to locate, he'll definitely. I mean, he's a he'll be up for sure. Yeah. Well, this is for both of you, but Levi, I know this is more in Jamie's wheelhouse than you. Okay, I know for any of us, and Jamie covers the minor leagues more than, than you do, Levi, is there any minor league player you are excited to watch? And I'm not talking about making a major league debut. I'm talking about when MILB starts and you're getting on every night and trying to follow them. Which players are you wanting to see what they do when the season starts for the minor leaguers? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. A lot of my focus has been on the big league club. And so the guys that I'm interested in watching are probably those that are right on the verge. Right. Um, you know, Josh Young, when he's healthy again, obviously, that's the that's the slam dunk choice. Davis Wenzel, I think, is maybe closer than people think. Um, 
And I feel like there's a starting pitcher that I was interested in. Oh, AJ Alexi. I want to see what he, what he does this year. And I guess baseball America rated his fastball, like the best in the Rangers organization, which Mm -hmm. is an organization that employs Hans Kraus. So that's impressive that Alexi's fastball would rank higher than Kraus's, which Kraus is on that list too, of guys that that I've been watching him, you know, kind of keeping an eye on him for years. So probably, probably those three or four guys. uh, And then because of Jamie's article for Nary Ozuna is another one that I'm going to certainly keep an eye on just to see what his stat line says. Yeah. Jamie. Uh, I was thinking about it as, as Levi was answering. I think the two that stand out for me is the ones that I'm going to be, you know, looking at box scores late at night. Not even, yeah. you know, I want to wait till tomorrow to find out what happened. I want to find out what's happening right now. It's Chris sees who has oh, yeah. had tremendous issues staying on the field um, with different injuries. It's not even the same thing. Um, I went way out on a limb in my rankings. I put him at five or six and every other, you know, publication I've seen has him around 20 in the system. Um, but I really think that's because of health. And I think, and this is not just, Hey, I, I know what I see. It's not, it's not my own eyes. It's what the conversations I've had. There are a couple people in the organization that have uh, very um, impactful voices. Uh, I won't identify them, but the two guys in particular that I'm thinking of think that Chris sees is the best player in the system. Um well, if healthy. Now he's got, obviously they both finished the sentence by saying he's got to get on the field. He's got to stay on the field or none of that matters. Right. So it's not like, you know, that he's just had a, had a cold or something like, and let's just get him back out there. He's got to prove that his, his arm is sound again and that all this lost time hasn't changed him as a player, but I'm really excited to see what he does this year. He's a pure shortstop and he's a big kid. He's, you know, he's big and athletic. He's the kind of guy you could move anywhere on the field but they don't think they need to. They think he's a shortstop. And then the other guy is the second round pick last summer, Evan Carter. Yeah, that's the one. That's I was just every, about to say him. Everybody yeah. considered him a huge reach. Um, you know, even when I wrote it, wrote up the draft that week, I was like, you know, don't there, know were, much. there were experts saying they'd never heard of the kid. Um, but what he did in fall instructional league, and I, I wrote a story about, I don't know, three or four players that really had big, big instructs. Yeah. He was a, uh, not only the stat lines, which were incredible, but conversations I was having is like, this guy's adjusting to pitching at like the Alexi level. You know, guys have been in the minor leagues three, four years throwing upper, upper 90s. This 18-year-old kid is adjusting to the kind of velocity that clearly he never saw in high school in Tennessee. Sure. And he wasn't on the showcase circuit, so he wasn't even seeing like high draft eligible guys that threw well. He's never seen this kind of pitching, and he was just – doing damage with it right away. So I'm, I'm really excited to see uh, what it looks like once he, you know, the lights come on and he's playing actual minor league games, but uh, they're excited about him. And, and I am too. Yeah. I, I, all of those are in mind. I'm, I'm also real interested in Thomas Sagisi, the kid that just had an unbelievable fifth round pick, but man, his numbers out of high school and they were stunted. They were stunted high school stats because they ended his season. Junior year was amazing. Started off hot his senior year. He's going to Pepperdine, wasn't he? Isn't that where he's going to go? Yeah, Pepperdine. And I got a, I got a Kinsler comp on him about a month ago. Really? From, okay. From one, from one baseball operations guy. Again, that's if everything comes together. Sure. Right? Yeah. Talking about sort of the edge he plays with the quickness of the bat that, you know, his, his athleticism, even if he's not the fastest guy in the field, um, they said it sort of fits a Kinsler profile. If it all comes together. There's a couple of other guys from last year's draft that I'm interested in too. I think Takoa Roby is a yeah. is an interesting name to watch. But one of the 
you know, Justin Foscue, yeah. because there were no minor leagues last year, he didn't, you know, obviously didn't play in the minor leagues. Got, I think he got some fall, some Arizona league at bats, but like his first, his, his first act, like he get, he got called to, to big league camp and his first real not counting fall league, like his first real game action was in big league spring training games. Like he just went straight, like skipping the minor leagues into spring training games. So that, I think that speaks to what the team thinks of him he's maybe older. a little bit. Yeah. He's a college kid too. He's older. So he's, yeah. yeah. So I, I wonder if he might be closer than I would have originally thought. Yeah. I'll, I'll be interested to see how his, how his minor league season uh, starts to shape up. Yeah. And I, I think this, this is an organization that could jump up tremendously. If some of these kids start producing in the rankings, this is an organization that it's not happened. They're lower, but I can see some moving up. So I know both of you, you're not prediction guys. We're not going to get into that. And except that, um, who do you guys think will be the Rangers MVP or, and the rookie of the year this year? If you had to throw something out there and someone held a, something to you and said, okay, $20, tell me who it is. For me, hopefully the MVP is Kip Fag and that, <laughs> and he knocks it out of the park and gets the right guy at the second pick. I think that's that's a question. Aside, aside from what they're going to do with Gallo, I don't think there's anything close to being on that level in terms of the narrative of this season. They got to get that pick right for all kinds of reasons. Um, and it looks like, you know, unless someone else invades that circle of three that's, that's being thought of as right at the top, you know, they're going to have to make a choice between two of them. Um, and it's they, they can't make the wrong choice. And if they do make the wrong choice, they're going to get a good ball player. But they got to get the best one there. And, yeah. and so to me, um, Kip and his his scouting crew, you know, they're uh, if, if they pull this off and they 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 grab a player that, that sort of redefines the system and gets here fairly quickly and and all of that, then um, then, then that's my MVP. Who would you take it to? Who would I take? Right now, I'd take Lighter, but I'm not sure he's going to be there. Yeah. You've seen um, Lawler, haven't you? I've seen him twice. I went to two of his games last week, and I'm going to go to another one this weekend. Um, have to say a little underwhelmed, and okay. I talked to about half a dozen scouts at one of the games, and a couple of them said he's just been pressing for a month. He knows how many um, scouts are iPads are being lifted every time he steps into the box filming him. And so they, they said – and he's – Apparently, just a phenomenal kid. The makeup, you know, is there. He's not overwhelmed by the situation, but they, a couple of the guys felt he was just trying trying a little too hard. Um, and I saw some insanely good at-bats and a couple that I thought that he should be doing a lot better against decent high school pitching yeah. than that. And so um, that's why I want to see him again because I'm going to be writing about him fairly shortly. Um, so I'm not I'm not here to say that, you know, that's not a guy you even consider in the middle of the first round. It's not that at all. But but these Bobby Witt Jr. comparisons, I I, I hesitate um, to to put him in that stratosphere. It's very convenient since they're both DFW shortstops. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't think he's that player. He may end up being the Rangers pick, and he may end up playing shortstop here for 15 years. I yeah. don't know. Um, but if it were me sitting here today, in my completely uninformed opinion, um, I would I would take lighter before him and probably rocker. What about you, Levi? Are you even paid attention enough? Or, uh, yeah, I mean, I've tried to, uh, but I, I certainly know my my strengths and weaknesses, and and identifying talent and scouting is not that's not my my bag. Um, I do think Lighter has looked really impressive just from the clips that I've seen. I yeah. mean, that kid looks like a big league pitcher to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you if you pressed me and 
made me pick one, I'd probably take lighter. I, I think probably, you know, I Rocker has been impressive for a long time and I, I haven't seen Lawler, so I'm certainly not an expert on that, but yeah. I probably, because the Rangers have needed, I mean, traditionally pitching has been what they needed for forever. That's always been the thing with the Rangers, right? Like they can right. mash the ball and they need a pitcher. So yeah, if you get a chance to draft a, a, a franchise defining pitcher, I mean, I think you got to do it. Um, to your original question of team MVP and team rookie of the year, I think, <laughs> Uh, I think Joey Gallo is the easy answer on, on team MVP when he's right. He's a special big leaguer, um, yeah. MVP candidate, um, rookie of the year. I'm going to go a little bit special. outside the, out, outside the, um, I don't know. It maybe feels like cheating, but I think Kohei Arihara probably is team rookie of the year, unless Tavares still counts. Um, but, but probably Arihara. That's my, that's my guess. Yeah. Jamie, you're you kind of in that line. Yeah, I'm more rookie of the year who you think is going to step up in their rookie year. Ari Hart is kind of an easy one because he's, you know, he's considered a rookie even though he's played professional ball for many years. Um, yeah. The Eli White counts too, right? As a rookie. No, he's he's not a rookie anymore. Is it because um, of age? I, I don't. It's no. It's a uh, it's it's service time. I will I will confirm that as we're talking right here, but I'm pretty sure that he had too many days on the roster, even if he didn't get the at-bats. Okay. Um, so, but I will also say this. I don't think he's um, necessarily in the rookie of the year conversation. He's not, he's not that type of player unless he claims the everyday spot and never lets go. And I just checked and you're correct. He's actually still got rookie status by a couple of days. Um, so, yes, he's a candidate. I, I would say Arahar is probably the best bet. Um, you know, what if, what if Dunning ends up winning 14 games, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe he's somebody that you consider, uh, in the mix, but, um, this isn't really going to be a rookie of the year type season right. for the Rangers. It's, it's more going to be, um, I'm talking, or, I guess, are, are we out, are we out ruling out Josh Young being rookie of the year? Oh yeah, I guess I so. Mean, yeah. Depending on how quick you know, he it, gets her. Yeah. If, uh, you know, if he ends up getting 350 at bats and doing a whole lot with them, uh, you know, he did, may not need to play a full year. It's happened before with guys that have come up into the season as one rookie of the year around the league. Um, yeah. you know, the setback obviously hurts that he's not going to get started even on the minor league side uh, as soon as they'd hoped. Um, but, you know, they're clearly super um, – there's high anticipation for when he gets here. Yeah. Well, look, guys, I've kept you guys close to an hour. I know, Jamie, you got to get out of here. I really appreciate it. What's the, the – the Athletics running a special right now. If you subscribe – your first six months are $1. I have tried to put it out there that I will refund your $6 if you will go sign up and prove it to me. I'm only doing it for so long as the first 10 people. So I'm, I'm not like putting my wallet out there forever, but you guys need to let me know. I'm happy to do it because I think it's a deal. I pay way more than that and don't have a problem with it, but that's the deal, right? Yeah. Yep. A dollar a month for your first six months. For right your now. first six months. I mean, you guys, guys, thanks so much for coming on. I know your busy schedules, Jamie and I have to get back to work and Levi, you're about to be on zoom calls coming up. Uh, guys, it's been great. Jamie, uh, Levi, I'll see you out in Arlington, obviously. And Jamie, hopefully I'll see you maybe out at the, out at, maybe in Arlington, maybe I'll see you in Frisco or catch one of Max's games since you're right here <laughs> in my hood. So who knows where I'll run into you, but guys, thanks so much. And appreciate you coming on. Yep. Good That's stuff. Good. Thanks. Guys, that's, that's Levi Weaver and Jamie Newberg from The Athletic. And like I say at the end of everything I write, and every one of these, nerd out. Yeah,